And hey, once again, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We are so, so grateful, and we will never take for granted again the ability we have to see each other face to face as we worship one another. I've been reminded as we worship this morning that we serve the powerful name of Jesus. There is power in that name, and more than ever, as a community, country, nation, world, we need to grab a hold of the name of Jesus. Now, I want to remind you that when originally all of this COVID-19 things came out, one of the biggest things that was being pushed in the Christian community was, was that God would allow for this COVID-19 to in turn push forward another great awakening where we would see countless souls saved for the gospel of Jesus. But it's interesting how the enemy works. Because I want for you guys to understand today that we are absolutely in a war. We are in a war, in a battle, not of flesh and blood, but of principalities between heaven and hell. And our enemy is doing everything he can to slow down the gospel. See, if you think about a war, what is the easiest way to conquer your enemy? Well, one of the easiest ways to conquer your enemy is to disunify the army in which you're facing. And can I go ahead and tell you that rather than seeing a great awakening, the enemy is doing everything he can to split Christians on social issues, race issues, heart issues, sin issues. And that absolutely is currently grieving the heart of our Savior. We're going to be looking today at another powerful prayer as we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 32. But let me go ahead and remind you of a phrase that is always on my mind and on my heart. What we believe dictates what we do. What we believe dictates what we do. And what we believe is determined by the information in which we are getting. Now what's scary is we are living in a day where we are getting more conflicting information than we have ever received in our lifetimes. Because the media is so split, because experts are so split, we are being told so many conflicting things of how to handle our day-to-day life. I want for us to understand today, with our belief comes action, but belief is dictated by the information that we are choosing to believe as true, and that's a very dangerous thing. See, before there was media, there was books. Before you could watch the news and before you could get on a YouTube, you would read books and articles, and books have been used to leverage communities nation and the world to believe things to cause them to act. I want to remind you that Adolf Hitler wrote a book called Mein Kampf and Mein Kampf was written in such a way where he pushed his hate speech, his belief system onto people and they bought into it and we saw one of the biggest movements of racial injustice we have ever seen. I do not want to take away from the tension that we have today, but the world has seen something more tense in the time of Adolf Hitler. And when we look at that moment, why did he write this book? He wrote this book that spurred a movement because he was also taking in wrong information. See, one of Hitler's favorite authors was a man by Nietzsche. 
And Nietzsche was a devout atheist who proclaimed that God was dead. Do you recognize that when we take in bad information, it brings forth bad belief. And our bad belief will then allow us to spur out more incorrect information, spurring others to have incorrect belief. And next thing you know, we have a sense of an ununified community. Listen, Christians more than ever must find unity because the enemy wants to split us against one another rather than allowing us to remain unified in vision and in heart, recognizing that we have a mission on this world to make much of Jesus and to see the gospel go forward. Another book that was written was one called Das Kapital by Karl Marx, was used to enslave much of the world as he promoted communism. Information has incredible power. Charles Darwin wrote a book, The Evolution of a Species, proclaiming that there is no such thing as an intelligent design. And in turn, people have been making monkeys of themselves ever since. Let's look today at the most trustworthy source that we have. The source that brings us to action. We've been asked to respond to current events happening in this world. I have been asked, we have been asked, we have been pushed to make a stand. And let me go ahead and tell you that Christians should take stances. We should not be passive because here's the thing. If Christians stay out of the political world, if we want to call it that, if we want to stay out of current event issues, then ultimately what we've done is we've taken Christ out of the issue. Do you see what we're saying? See, Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells on earth through you as a believer. And when we remove ourselves out of uncomfortable situations, when we remove all of the believers and we tell believers to remain silent, we have ultimately silented the voice of the Lord. Do you recognize how detrimental that is to society? That is hurtful. That is harmful. I've heard one person say before that they do not believe that Christians should have anything to do with politics, run for politics. There should be no Christian politicians. Let me go ahead and tell you that the Lord wants his voice heard. And Christians need to be involved in every form of government. Christians need to have a voice when there is ever a hot button issue because our voice represents the Jesus in which we serve. We should not be Timid. Today, let's look at Acts chapter 4, if you would turn there now. See, Acts chapter 4 is often called the Acts of the Apostles. But that is not what was originally it called. Because it's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of Jesus Christ who used the Apostles to accomplish a great mission. And the only way that we will see Unity, the only way that we will see another great awakening is if we get a hold of a good, strong belief. A belief in Jesus, a belief in his word. We get good, strong information and we allow that information to spur us forward into right action. Recognize, church, the apostles did mighty things for the power and the glory of the gospel going forward. But they were only able to accomplish those things... Because they were ingesting the right information and living out information in acts of truth. Romans 12 is something I would just like to read for a moment. 
When we look at Christians being oppressed, when we look at any people group being oppressed, whenever we look at injustice, one of the first things I want to bring up is the initial response. Romans 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Wow. Isn't that an interesting response? Now, once again, we believe that God's word is the utmost source of truth. We believe it brings forth the utmost source of wisdom. Amen. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23 together. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The king of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in the city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Verse 32. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead, he held everything in common. So what do we see? We're in this moment where the apostles, the early church, are facing major political resistance, major oppression, you would say that they were being absolutely assaulted because there was a movement going on that the government officials could not control. It scared them to death because everything was changing. Change scares us. And because of that, they started to do everything they can to shut down the movement, but we recognize that the gospel can be shut, cannot be shut down as long as Christians are willing to stand up and open their mouths for the glory of the Lord. And even if we don't do so, here's the, humil- the humiliating thing. God's word says that when Christians do not stand and make his name known, he could make the rocks cry out. How powerful is that? We must do our job because we will not be outshined by a rock. Amen. Notice that verse 23 does not say that they rallied together, that they got angry, that they got hateful, that they sought to get even. Listen, Christians, there are things going on in this world that should bring us to a point of righteous anger. But we always respond with a righteous response. Hear me. 
Righteous anger does not justify an unrighteous response. We are supposed to respond righteously in every situation. And ultimately, we have been called to live out our faith, live in the way in which Christ would live. Because we have invited him in to be our Savior. So what would Jesus do? What is the first thing that they do? They gather together and they pray. Now let me go ahead and tell you something. This is something that has been on the forefront of my heart. I have seen so many, so many things this week. I've seen so much information coming at us. And I have seen so many opinions and views But one thing that I cannot tolerate, one thing that makes me extremely upset is when Christians say it's time to stop praying and start doing. I have seen this numerous times. I have heard people say we need to stop gathering together in prayer and start taking action. Let me go ahead and tell you, prayer is action. We will never underestimate the power of prayer. Listen, how... (laughs) How haughty do you have to be? How cocky do you have to be to think that you can do more than activating the Savior, the creator of the heavens and the earth? Asking God to come in and move is so much more powerful than anything you can do. I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't take action when God directs them to do so. But I do want to go ahead and get this in our hearts and our minds, in our vocabulary. Prayer is action. Prayer is powerful because when you underestimate the power of prayer, you devalue the necessity of the movement of God in your situation. Dwell on that for a moment. R.A. Torrey wrote, he has many great quotes, but R.A. Torrey said, pray for great things, expect great things. Work for great things, but first and foremost, pray. There's a theologian that many people love. And he has so many things of value, but he wrote a dangerous quote that has been misused. He said, I often find myself praying when I should be doing something. Prayer is something. Now, hear me. Often Christ asks us, commands us, emboldens us to be the answer to the prayer as he works through us. Yes, our feet should be loose to move. Our hands should be out to serve. We'll see this later in the text. But recognize, recognize the power and the value that prayer has. What happened when they prayed? Well, when they prayed, God moved not only visibly, Actually shaking the world through an earthquake. But also, he shook the world with the response that happened when the disciples prayed, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and preached the gospel boldly. See, a couple of points I want to bring just culturally here. The apostles are at this point where they're getting in trouble for preaching Christ. God was confirming their preaching with signs and miracles, making everyone that was against this movement uncomfortable. The religious people did not like it. They wanted the preaching to stop, so they were doing whatever they could to lessen the power of the gospel. 
Now, the problem was is that this movement was catching like wildfire, and the popular mood was in support of the Christians. Now, not knowing what to do, they bring them together, and they command them not to preach anymore. And if you will look at Acts chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, saying, What shall we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, because they were healing people, and we cannot deny it. But so that does not spread any further among the people. Here's their tactic. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or to teach at all the name of Jesus. Now remember, these are powerful people. These are the people that engineered the crucifixion of Christ. And then we see in verse 19, Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God. You decide, are we going to obey man or are we going to obey our Savior? For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Verse 21, after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. Do you recognize there was such a movement with so many people following after Jesus? The people that were against Christians were in the minority and they knew that they could not overpower the Christians, because the Christians were, keyword, wait for it, unified. Hmm. Peter and John answered them, what is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God. Verse 21, after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done for the sign of the healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything that the chief priests and the elders have said to them. Now, this is the setting for the prayer meeting that was earth-shaking. See, we want for there to be Power in our prayer because the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. We recognize, once again, the power of prayer. And if we want to make a difference in this world, it starts with the prayers of people boldly pursuing the altar. Mm. Let us not, not forget that. But perspective on earth-shaking prayer is important. What is our perspective on Prayer. What is our perspective on the importance of prayer? First of all, their perspective as they walked into this prayer is they saw God as the creator of all things. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Y'all, do we recognize the power of our Savior in that verse alone. See, all other religions have these complex stories about how their God was able to somehow design and did all. Our God literally spoke something out of nothing. Listen, is this not incredible in itself? He literally speaks into nothingness and everything comes out of it. Once again, we do not devalue the power of prayer because we value the power of the one that we're praying to. They saw God as the creator of all things. They are appealing to the God of the universe. They're not speaking to somebody weak. They're not merely talking to someone in the air. They are talking of the high king of heaven. Listen, as I say these words, I just have this feeling that you guys aren't understanding the value that we have when we talk about prayer. Because once again, the words that I'm saying are often used. The high king of heaven, the creator of the heavens 
and the earth. But I need for you to soften your heart to what often is callous because that is common information we have heard so often and recognize the power that we have by being able to access the great creator of all of the universe. So they saw God had power over all things. He was the creator of all things and now he is the controller of all things. Verse 25, you said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The king of earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in the city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Now, with a little bit of digging, what you'll find is that they are directly quoting Psalms chapter 2 because this is fulfilled prophecy. This is fulfilled prophecy. They are recognizing that what was written in Psalms chapter 2 hundreds of years before this moment has in turn come to fruition and they are recognizing that God is in control. Everything is working out just like he said it was. Our God is not just the great creator. He is the great controller. But then we also see God as the great conqueror. He's a great conqueror of all things. In Psalms chapter 2, they quote from, it's a psalm that tells of the Lord Jesus Christ who was going to rule and reign from Zion. And they knew that the God who had fulfilled the first part of the psalm was going to fulfill the last part of the psalm too. They knew that mm, the kingdoms of this world will become kingdoms of our Lord. That God would conquer this world, that he would not allow for this world to do whatever it wants forever, but rather there would be a second coming. Listen, here's what I know. I know that we live in strange times. We live in times today that no one would have predicted we'd be in. But I do know that I'm a part of the winning team. And there I find peace, but there I also find boldness. I find boldness because I recognize as long as I stay in the center of God's hand, being obedient and faithful to everything he is calling and asking me to do, I am going to see and be a part of the victory. And that is reassuring. So we see the perspective of verse-shaking prayer. The perspective is that God is the creator, God is the controller, and God is the conqueror. But now we see the purpose. So first we saw the perspective. Now we see the purpose. Hmm. If we pray with the wrong purpose, you are also not going to pray a powerful prayer. Notice in verses 29 and 30. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your servant Jesus Christ. So the purpose of earth-shaking prayers, what is their purpose to come to the Lord in prayer? Their first purpose to is express God's word. Verse 29, and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Now this is absolutely amazing. I just need you to guys wrap your head around this. They are asking God to give them boldness to speak his name because they're facing oppression. Now why were they facing oppression? For speaking his name. Hey, God, listen. We have been doing what you called us to do. It has got us into a lot of trouble. 
They don't ask right in this moment that God would take away all the trouble, that he would make their life easy. He says, no, allow us to be bold in the mission that you have called us to. Help us to not back down or shut up or be still or get scared. Lord, give us the boldness to continue to speak your truth, your gospel to all of the world despite how they treat us. Do you recognize that? power what would happen if we walked out of this room today looked at the signs that we exit by every single week that says you are now entering the mission field and we entered that mission field with boldness like they entered it see it's so funny because nowadays we're afraid to talk about our faith because it might be awkward it might be uncomfortable People might not like us, but the early church was worried about themselves being martyred for the faith, but yet they chose to remain bold. Can I just tell you, we owe it to the early church. We owe it ultimately to our Father to be bold because in reference to what they were facing, we do not face persecution. We do not face it like they did. What would happen if you walked out with boldness so the first was to express God's word and the next is to extend God's hand verse 30 while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus so they're saying Lord not only do we want our mouth to be your mouth but Lord we want to be your hand once again the Holy Spirit lives and resides in you so you are called to be the hands of our Savior see one of my favorite preachers of all time is Adrian Rogers and as I was studying for this message I came across an old outline of Adrian Rogers and he says a powerful story that I would like to read to you back over in Europe in World War II a cathedral was bombed a beautiful cathedral They went to put the cathedral back together and some of our servicemen were overseas and they were helping to put that cathedral back together that had been bombed. In that cathedral, there was a beautiful statue of Jesus. They found fragments of this statue that was crumbled all over the area and they did everything they could to put the, the, the statue back together. They searched all over for the hands, but they couldn't find the hands. They looked all over. They were able to find every piece of the statue, but they could not find the hands of Jesus. And an American soldier wrote these words and put them at the pedestal at the statue of Jesus. He has no hands, but our hands. He has no hands, but our hands. Do you recognize that Jesus wants to do powerful things through this world? And I believe that he wants to use the hands of you sitting in this room to do it. Once again, we need to allow God to use our mouth, but also to use our hands. So the purpose of the prayer, to express God's word, to extend God's hand, but also to exalt God's son. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus It was a prayer in the name of Jesus. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? See, we have so many things that we do so often in prayer, we don't even recognize the importance, what it means. A couple years ago, I was sitting there with my father-in-law, and he went through a prayer, and he's praying before our meal, and he goes on and on and on to say, 
God, thank you for this. And God, thank you for that. And God, we're so grateful for this. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. And I couldn't help but poke at him because I'm gutsy. And I just said, listen, what did you ask for? And he paused. He goes, I think I've prayed that that way my entire life. And I'm not sure if I ever ask. (laughs) See, here's what I want for us to understand today. Let's be very, very intentional in our prayer, in the name of Jesus. They are praying in the name of Jesus. This is huge. Mm. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Does it mean that we go to God with a little shopping list, that we say, hey, God, give us this and give us this and give us this? Or does it mean that we pray with his authority for his glory? When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're recognizing that he is the mediator. He is the intercessor. He is the reason why we can talk to God because the blood of the lamb has been slain that covers over our iniquities. Amen. There is blessing in the name of Jesus. And the only reason our prayers ever get to God is through the name of Jesus. But we pray in the name of Jesus for his glory to accomplish His purposes. So there is the purpose of earth-shaking prayer to express God's word, to exalt God's hand, and to to extend God's hand, and to exalt God's son. But then also there is power in earth-shaking prayer. There was power in earth-shaking prayer when, first point, the spirit is received. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The Spirit is received. Now, what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, every time we see the Spirit being received, people being filled with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, it always follows with speaking and preaching and people coming to faith. In Christ Jesus. Every single time. See, listen, we have loved to get really, really trivial, controversial to debate about what being filled with the Spirit means. But here's what I know it means. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, not to make much of you, but to make much of Jesus See, we have all been filled with the Holy Spirit upon accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But in this translation, in these words, what it's meaning is that they were so filled with the Spirit. They were so aware of what the Spirit was calling them to do that they were emboldened to act and to preach the gospel. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and what? And began to speak the word of God boldly. So in order for us to see change and unity brought to our world, what's the first thing? Prayer. And through prayer, we are emboldened. We are excited. And in turn, we speak the name of Jesus. We preach the word boldly. And then what do we see? Unity is achieved. The spirit was received. Unity was achieved. One of the greatest marks that we belong to Jesus Christ is our unity. 
Y'all, do you remember that old, awful, awful song from the 70s and 80s? We are one in the spirit. We are one. Y'all had horrible music. Let me just go ahead and tell you. Whew, it was bad. But here's what I will tell you. Goodness, there is truth to those words. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we need to be praying communally, individually, that God would bring us together. Can can I say something today? Listen, one of the most hurtful phrases I hate to hear, I hate to hear, is you know what? Are you a pastor of a white church? Listen, that is such a hurtful thing to hear. Because here's here's my thing. I don't believe that God ever looks at his church as white or black churches. I don't believe that God ever looks at a church and goes, well, that's a white church, that's a black church. I don't think God ever looks at it like that because I don't believe that God looks at us like that. See, listen, here's what I do know. I know a little bit about race from the word, but it says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You want to know the race that God pays attention to? Those who are saved and those who are lost. That is the separating line. That's the one that draws our attention. See, we can get so caught up in this concept of melanin See, melanin is the pigment that we all have in our skin. And when you have more melanin, you have a darker skin complexion. When you have less melanin, you have a lighter skin complexion. And the enemy has been using a silly thing like the, like the chemical that changes the, the color of our skin to disunify the world since the beginning of time. We recognize that there is one race because we are all of the race of Adam. We are all the descendant of one. And let me go ahead and tell you, I do not believe that I need to look at this church and say it is not righteous. It is not God's will to be racist. I think we know that. But here's what I do want for us to recognize today. I do want for us to recognize that God does not want for us to look at people by the color of their skin. But here's what he wants us to do. He wants for us to look at the state of their heart. That is the race that matters. Do you belong to Jesus or do you belong to the world? That's what we make much of. So unity is achieved when they come together in prayer. They are emboldened to preach the gospel. They see unity. We see that in the last verse that we're looking at today, that they all were of one accord. They all gathered together with one heart. They were sharing. Listen, there was all kind of colors represented in the early church. There was Jews and there was Gentiles. There was Greeks. There was Romans. There was all types of people coming together. Hear me out. We need to be praying that a God allows for a sense of unity To overwhelm the world. Because when unity is achieved, the gospel hmm, is believed. When the world sees that Christians unify, when the world sees that Christians are unified in one mission, the gospel is believed. And the more that the gospel is believed, the more that unity is achieved. It's a cyclical cycle with great power. Verse 33 The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on all of them. My goodness, that is powerful. Listen, once again, I'm glad 
to serve in a church where I know and I believe without a shadow of a doubt that no matter the way somebody looks that walks in this door, they're going to be loved, they're going to be accepted, they're going to be appreciated. I recognize that, and I'm so grateful for that. Hear me? Here's what I want for us to understand. It's important that we are willing to love outwardly, that we are willing to speak boldly out of love and of grace, that we can preach the message of the gospel. We recognize that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, the same heart that he has for one race, he has for every other race because we are all descendants of Adam. Hear me. We are all his children. He graciously died on the cross for us all. But can I say one more thing and just remind us of one more thing. When we get angry, when we see injustice in the world, which we're seeing so much right now, when we get angry, when we have righteous anger, we do not respond in an unrighteous manner. We seek to build up our community. We seek to build up the kingdom. Hear me, I have never heard of a church or Christians being successful in a community that they did not try to make a better place, that they did not try to love, that they did not try to care about. Listen, as Christians, when we stop making excuses, and start making effort to make much of Jesus, no matter the situation, no matter the cost, we see unity achieved, the gospel believed. Church, once again, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to be in a place where anybody can walk in as we are fishers of men. We are happy for any person to come to faith in Christ. But I pray that you will have wisdom in the upcoming days while everything is brought up. Making much of Jesus, not making much of your political platform, not making, not making much of your opinions, but making much of Scripture. Listen, in a moment, we're going to have this altar open. Myself and Brother Jeremy will make ourselves available. If you'd like to talk to us about anything, we'd love to. Ultimately, the best thing we could talk to you about is where you stand with Jesus, the great unifier and edifier of our faith. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to have Scripture. God, we recognize that only Scripture brings wisdom. And as we are seeking true information, godly information that will bring us to a point of reconciliation, Lord, I pray that ultimately we will understand that only your word is the true source that can be trusted verbatim. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for you. And God, I pray that you will soften our hearts to all the people around us and help us to see people pass their outer appearance and simply look at the state of their heart. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Stir in us. In your name we pray. Amen.